We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. If you've got your Bibles, take them and open them with me. Open them to the Gospel of Luke again tonight. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. Uh, Luke chapter 24, we're going to start in verse 36 tonight. Um, you've got your listening sheets, hopefully, when you came in. Um, Luke 24, 36, we're doing a series right now. Uh, called Written in Red, we're studying the words that Jesus spoke uh, in the New Testament. And specifically, uh, over the last several weeks, we have been studying the words, the red words, the written in red, because in many Bibles there's a red letter edition. It will place the words that Jesus spoke in red letters. We're specifically focusing on the red letters that Jesus spoke after His resurrection or post resurrection. So that's what we've been studying the last several weeks, and we're going to continue studying that tonight. And so uh, I'm glad you're here for that. If you did not, did, it, did anybody not get a listing sheet? You want a listing sheet, but you did not get a listing sheet? Anybody need one? Everybody good? I don't think that's ever happened. That's, that's, fan, that's fantastic. Watch, you're not going to have to get anybody any listening sheets. So you get, you get the night off back there. That's, that's wonderful. Um, I can't imagine anything more traumatizing or shocking than finding out that your wife or husband had passed away and then being in turn told that they were wrong, that they actually were alive. I came across a story years ago, and it's just kind of a haunting story to me. Um, a lady by the name of Mary Halliburton, her husband Porter was shot down during the Vietnam War. Navy representatives came to her home and told Mary that her husband had died in action, shot down and killed. And for several days, she was too numb to even react. The flags flew at half-staff all over their hometown, a grave marker was placed in his memory in the family cemetery. Eighteen months passed. And though Marty tried to adjust to her loss, it was hard. One day a group of military experts appeared again at her house, this time with very different news. Porter was alive, in good condition, and being held by the North Vietnamese. Mary's emotions leaped as, she was on a, as if she was on a roller coaster, but they told her to keep the information to herself for fear of reprisals against the POWs if the news got out. That's an impossible thing to do. How do you hide the fact that you found out that your husband, who you thought had been dead for a year and a half, is now alive? How do you hide the transformation in your personality? How do you talk to a friend without blurting out the news? How do you not tell your own children that their father is dead? And in the end, the Navy realized this, and they made it easier, and they had changed his status, and they phoned Marty and told her that she could tell anyone that she wanted that he's alive. That's an incredible story. In fact, it's the real life story of some of you have seen the movie Castaway. Um, fascinating plot, right? Guy's flying for FedEx or, or works for FedEx. The plane goes down. He's the only one that survives. He ends up on a desert island. He doesn't just end up there for days or weeks, he ends up there for years, till eventually, I don't want to spoil the, I'm going to spoil the movie, you haven't seen Castaway by now, too late, um, uh, it's old, 
So, so he gets all, he, he finally makes his way off the island and he makes it back. And the woman that he was engaged to had not only moved on, but she had gotten married because she thought he was dead and now she has a child. And trying to figure out how do I get back to life in, in, in the midst of that. Mary Halliburton's story is the real life story of somebody finding out that news. I don't think it would have been any less shocking post-resurrection of Jesus for people that believed, knew, saw that he was dead to find out that he was alive. And, and so we, we see an appearance of Christ that comes up in Luke 24. We talked about the Maus Road a couple of weeks ago, and, and I want you to see this appearance to the disciples in Luke 24. I'm going to start reading in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, the resurrection, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, and thinking they saw a ghost, he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. big idea uh, as we read this text together is that the peace of God is available to those who have a relationship with the resurrected Christ who is revealed through God's Word, and who is revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's go back to verse 36. They're all talking about what happened, and Jesus shows up among them. Obviously, He has come into the room supernaturally. And what do they think they're seeing? They think they're seeing a ghost, right? You saw that? Is this really you? Could this be possible? It's an interesting sub-note to me in this text that it would be easier for them to believe in ghost than it would be that Jesus did what Jesus said he was going to do. I kind of got caught up on that this week because I truly believe that even in evangelical circles that there are people who would rather believe myths and fables and legends and stories and silliness than they had the actual gospel, than they had actually what's in the Word of God. It is amazing the number of people who are interested in the paranormal and the number of people who are, I mean, there's whole shows related to ghost adventurers. And, and I mean, I can remember when my children were little, how many of you, I know some of you have seen this show. It may even still be on. I don't know. Any of you watch Finding Bigfoot? Do you remember this show? I'm going to spoil that one for you if you haven't seen it. They haven't found him. They, they, they're looking. They haven't found him. But when my kids were little, my son was just eaten up with this show, like Finding Bigfoot. So it's these people that are out. This ludicrous. I mean, it's just the craziest. I think some of them came to Holmesville. Like, or it was somewhere around here. Like, I guess if we're going to have a Bigfoot, Holmesville is as good a place to have one as anywhere. But they're out there looking. And... Is the plural of Bigfoot, Big Feet, or Bigfoots? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. 
but they're out traipsing around in the woods. They got sonars and and, and they've got um, game cameras and and they've got listening devices all over the place. And I mean, I'm a redneck and like I'm friends with a lot of rednecks and game cameras are everywhere. It's why you can't poach anymore. They're everywhere. If there was a big feats, I'll just cover it. I don't know which one it is. If there's a big feats running around, somebody's getting a picture of him, right? And by the way, I'm a redneck. A lot of you are rednecks. Let's just own it. Let's just say it's 510 one afternoon in Holmesville, Pricedale, Tylertown, Bogachetta, Amit County, all of these places, anywhere. I'm not picking on Holmesville. And you're sitting in a food plot. And you're in your nice box stand, and you're there, and you've got your 3 by 12 by 50 millimeter scope attached to your 308 rifle. And as it dusk is just starting to come down, and there's a couple of does that are gleaning there in the grass patch, and you're hoping that that monster buck is going to step out of that old cutover and make his way into the food plot so that all of your dreams can come true. And as you're sitting there and you're enjoying the cool of the evening, and you look up, and a 14-foot gorilla walks into the food plot and just walks up to the corn feeder. I know none of you would hunt over corn, but let's just pretend you did. And it walks up to the, to the food plot. How many rednecks do you know that wouldn't kill big feet? The whole family of big feet. They'd be loaded in an F-150. They'd be hauling big feet around. They'd be out there at 44, riding around and showing other rednecks the whole family of big feet that they killed. That would happen. But we've got a whole show dedicated to that. Another show, I'm flipping channels the other day, and these weirdos, and by the way, even a nine-year-old quit watching that show because he finally looked at me and he said, if they were ever going to find Bigfoot, they would put that on the big people news. That, that's big people news. I said, yeah, Bigfoot would have made it to the big people news. So we moved past that. And so then paranormal activity, and they've got people that are listening in the walls with sonar and trying to figure out the history. And if this lady who lived here in 1860 is going up and down the stairs. And I'm listening to all of this, and it's silly, and you can use it for comedic value, and I have no problem with that. But at the end of the day, I think it illustrates something about what we're talking about. That there are people who would rather be interested in the paranormal and the silly and the ridiculous and witchcraft and paranormal activity and Ouija boards and devilish things than they had be interested in the actual supernatural things of God as revealed in Scripture. And what goes back 2,000 years, they think they've seen a ghost. Obviously, it's not a ghost. It's Jesus himself. And Jesus says these words, and I think we have to clarify this statement because this is an abused word in our culture. What is Jesus' message to them? What's the first thing he says? Peace be with you. Now, let's clarify something. How many of you in here, and just own it, just own it. How many of you in here are old enough that you could have been a hippie at some, like, you're old enough that you could have been a hippie. Well, maybe you were a hippie, but, but you could have been a hippie even if you weren't a hippie. All, all right, we got a few of you. How many of you, were, how many of you say, oh, I was a hippie? Uh, any, anybody? Okay, we got a couple of hippies. All right, that, that's all right. We got a couple of hippies riding around with a peace symbol and, you know, uh, uh, got, 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 got all the gear on, went to Woodstock, did the whole deal, right? Hippies. 
But you walk around and you, you see these signals, and, and, and even today, like ki kids, now though, it's different. What did this used to mean? I don't know what it means now because they turn it this way. <laughs> break your fingers. That's, I, I, that's a whole different subject. So, you know, we got this. So it means what? We're, we're, peace. But people say, peace, man, peace. You ask all the, we have interviews, you know, and, and it's the joke when it comes to these modeling pageants. And what is your platform? Well, I'm going to bring world peace. Doubt it. Doubt it, right? Peace. So when somebody talks about peace, a lot of times I think we need to understand when Jesus walks into the room, he's not talking about some weird lofty concept. He's saying, hey, easy, easy. A dead man just walked in among you. I, I could see where this might throw you a little. Peace. Calm down. Calm down. We need to talk. I know you're about to lose your mind. I know you're about to flip out. Some of you are probably about to run. So just peace, peace be with you. So when we talk about what the peace of God actually is, we need to really understand what we're talking about. It's not a subjective feeling. When the Bible talks about shalom, when that greeting of peace, it is actually able to give a real objective peace, not a feeling. Romans 5.1, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you think Paul was talking about a subjective feeling that we have a peaceful... right? Like, if you're a hippie, you ought to know this song too, right? The Eagles. We got this peaceful, easy feeling. I know you won't let me down. I'm already standing. Hey, good job, Shane. I knew you had it in you. Uh, uh, uh. I'm going to bring that hippie back. Come on, baby. Uh, peaceful, easy feeling. That's not what he's talking about. It's talking about an objective peace. So why would an objective peace of God be important for us to understand what that is? And here's, here's where I think we've missed it. Outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are at war with God. You are an enemy of the cross. You are an enemy of the gospel. You are a mocker of God, and the Bible says you hate God. So when we say peace... We're talking about that God was on a mission that through His justice and His wrath and His power, He was not going to just annihilate you or kill you. He was going to place you in hell forever and ever and ever. So when the Bible says peace, we're not talking about being groovy. We're talking about that now a God who has been appeased only by the blood of Christ is not going to kill you for your sins eternally. That's what the peace of God is. And so when Jesus comes and says, peace be with you, this is an incredible statement. People always say that they want peace. But until someone really experiences a relationship with God, they won't have peace. It's why I've learned just in private conversations with people, this is true of the pulpit, but this is true of your conversations with everybody in your life, family, friends, everybody else. Everybody wants to talk about all their problems, but they don't want to talk about their issues about their relationship with God. 
When I meet with people, every time they want to tell me about their problems with their wife, they want to tell me about their problems with their husband, their problem at work, their problem with stress, their problem with anxiety, their problem with addiction, their problem with this, their problem with that. And we'll go through all of these things, and most of the time you have to bring it back and you say, well, let's talk about your relationship with God. And most of the time people say, oh, I mean, I know I need to get that right, but really I want to come talk about this. And I just want to tell you something. I'll, let's all come in together because I'm going to counsel all of y'all like this is just one big counseling session. You can forget it. You're not going to get your marriage right if your relationship isn't right with God. Your finances aren't right. Okay. But if you're bankrupt before the Holy of Holies, who cares whether or not there's enough in your IRA? If your addiction is an issue. That's a significant issue you need to get help for. But you're not going to make it through that addiction unless you're at peace with God. So we need to constantly bring, be bringing people back to the conversation about their relationship with God before we're willing to talk about all these peripheral issues and then they say, yeah, I know, I probably need to pray more. No, you're lost. Your biggest problem is that you're lost. It'd be like going to the doctor and you, you have fallen and an axe has gone all the way through your leg. And you're bleeding profusely on both sides. You're in danger of bleeding out. You're in danger of losing your leg. And you come in and they rush you into the emergency room. And as the doctor is treating you, you looked at the doctor and said, no, 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 don't worry about that. And he looked at you like you're crazy. He said, I've been dealing with some allergy stuff. The pollen's kind of been making me sneeze lately. And he'd look at you and he'd say, I care less about the pollen factor. I'm not giving you Benadryl and Flonase right now. I'm trying to save your leg. And I really begin to understand dealing with people like that is that people want to talk about their allergies when they have a wound and they're bleeding to death. And so when Jesus comes, he wants to give a peace that treats the real problem. So in 37, remember they've gone from talking about it, verse 36, while they were still talking about this, they were talking about the resurrection, while they were still talking about it, now they're actually seeing this. And so, is it, first time I ever studied this passage, my immediate response was, I can't believe these guys. Can you believe this? After all they've been through, they should have known better. And there's probably some room for that in explaining this passage. But it's like the Holy Spirit just asked me this question. What if Jesus opened the deadbolt of your house door and came in your den? How would you react? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, how, what I would do. But for them, I, it was as big a shock seeing a dead man standing there that they are absolutely they're, they're about to lose it and so what will it actually be like and so that caused me to ask an even different question you all if you're saved shouldn't say if you're saved you are going to see jesus one day one of two ways it's either going to be by rapture right the heavens are going to open, Trump's going to sound, and those of us who are still living are going to do what? Go to meet him in the air. Rapture or at death. People always talk about the pearly gates. You are going to see Jesus. 
when it talks about heaven, the gospel song, I want to see Jesus. We're going to see Him high and lifted up, exalted, shining in the light of His glory. We're going to see Jesus. And at that point, I can't help but go back to this passage and ask the question, will, what will it be like when we actually behold Him? How many of you know the song or you remember, remember the song, one of the most popular Christian pop songs of all time, really, but certainly of recent years, the song, I Can Only Imagine. You ask a really good question in that, in that song. Here's the question. Will I sing hallelujah or will I be able to speak at all? You know, for most of my life, I've, I've been, I'm, I'm inquisitive. I have been. I ask people about, I ask questions about things I don't, I mean, I don't know that I even care about the answers to. I had a 45-minute discussion the other day with a guy about how to get a beehive started. I'm never going to have beehives. I don't know why, but I know tons now. I mean, I, I didn't know, did you know that you could change the sex of a female or you can actually change a bee from a female into a queen by exposing it to certain elements that you, I, I mean, I learned about how you can extract honey, about how you place these bees, what the type of moths that you have to watch out for because they will evidently wipe your hives out, the type of suits that you have to, have to wear. I mean, I'm listening and, I, and I'm honestly fascinated by this. So we're getting into it and, and, Finally, the guy said, you think about getting some bees? I said, no, I haven't. No, I don't want any at all. <laughs> and I, I think he thought, like, I, and I was like, I'm just interested. I, I, just, uh, I just, it sounds interesting. It's kind of interesting to me that you're this interested in it. I'm like, I think, that, think that's in, incredible. Like the farmer's market sells honey and I don't have to worry about anaphylactic shock. So I'm good with you doing that. Like, and so, but I, I was, it was, it was interesting. And so I was listening to that. So my whole life, when I thought about heaven, especially when I really started studying the Bible and being fascinated with the Bible, I thought that I'm going to get to heaven one day and it's like I was going to pull Jesus to the side and kind of interview. Like, I've got all of these questions. Here's this stuff I didn't understand about the Bible. And by the way, in my life, this happened and I didn't understand this. And why didn't you do this? And how come this took so long? And I kind of saw it like Jesus was going to pull me to the side and I was just going to have an eternity to quiz him. And I think here's what I've come to understand. I think that not being able to speak at all is going to be closer maybe even than singing hallelujah. When we behold Him, when we actually see the majesty and the holiness and the beauty, that's what's going to happen. And then verses 38 through 40, I, I, this is an important passage that gets ignored. Why are you troubled? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I myself. In other words, it really is it really is me touch me in other words i'm not a ghost i'm not an apparition i'm not a spirit i have he rose in the physical body if you're fading fading on me right now because you ate that blueberry scone and it's starting to sit heavy and your eyes are starting to get a little heavy right now i need you to come back because this is important jesus did not just spiritually rise from the dead he physically rose from the dead. He had a body. He said, touch my body. And then he ate fish. Now, was this because Jesus was going to starve to death if he didn't eat broiled fish? I'm glad society has come a long way in the past 2,000 years. 
Because if these dudes had ever had fried fish, they would never have boiled fish again. There's no reason to ever boil fish. That's disgusting. Um, get some cornmeal, and it would have changed their life, I think, forever. And so they reach up, and Jesus eats the fish. And you're thinking right now, well, why in the world does that matter? Well, if you were a ghost or you were an apparition, and you were to take a bite of something, obviously it wouldn't enter your body. It, it, it wouldn't, that, that wouldn't happen. So he's showing them not just by touching his flesh, by watching him eat. Now, this is what separates biblical Christianity from every other religion and false cults, that Jesus rose from the dead. Physically, in bodily form, he rose from the dead. Every false religion, but even specifically, this text can be used to refute Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses claim that Jesus' body was not resurrected, but that he became a spirit and that he showed up in spirit. Now, if you are going to teach that Jesus did not have a bodily resurrection, then that is a false gospel, which Paul says is no gospel at all. And so when we understand how important that is, we understand that he bears, that he's showing them that he bears the scars. I find it interesting that if you look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, it says, The Lamb was standing. This is the heavenly vision of Jesus. The Lamb standing as if slain. In other words, that even when we see Jesus, one of the ways that you are going to know, and by the way, you're not going to have to doubt. You're not going to be, oh, I wonder if that's Peter or Jesus, or I wonder if that's Elijah or Jesus. You're going to know. You say, how do you know? I just know. You're going to know. You're not going to mistake anybody for Jesus. But just in case, he's still going to bear the imprints. The scars will still be there to eternally remind us of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. When we see that and see the power of that, not just in that resurrection, but for forever. And then in verse 41, we see that they did exactly what we kind of expect. It says, when they, then while they still not, did not believe it because of joy and amazement. That's a weird verse. Did you see? They did not believe it because of joy and amazement. I have thought about that verse and thought about that verse. What do you mean they didn't believe it because of joy and amazement? And I have thought about this and studied this verse, and the more I've studied it, I think the less complicated it is. I, I really, I, and I, and I want to, sometimes I think the simplest answers are the easiest answers. Has anything ever happened to you that you thought this is so incredible, this is too good to be true? Most of the time we have childhood memories of something that happened that it was just everything we'd ever wanted, everything we'd ever hoped for. Um, I mean, I can tell you some stories just over the cor course of my life. I mean, I can remember, um, I can remember the conversation, we, not when we got engaged, but when Brooke and I decided we're, we're going to get engaged, like we were headed in that direction, that that's, that's where we were going. I can remember that night just almost feeling like this, this can't be, like I was so excited I was so it was like this is almost too good to be true and that's maybe maybe that's a stretch as far as understanding the emotion but I think it's as simple as them saying 
this is absolutely so wonderful. This is, this, this is too much. This is too good to be true. And so they're experiencing this, what's happening. And so in verse 44, he does the exact same thing. In, notice this is both in Luke's gospel. We went back and forth to Luke and John. But you remember when we talked about the Emmaus Road disciples? Now we see him showing up with the disciples, and he does the exact same thing he did with the Emmaus Road disciples with his disciples, and he expounded the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he went through the Old Testament and showed them what had to happen. One of the reasons, and I'm, I'm going to take just a moment here because this is a Wednesday night to take a little bit of a sideline issue. I want to take about three or four minutes and explain something to what I believe is just a core group, group of you tonight. I think this is important. There are different types of preaching. Now, there's certainly false preaching, and then there is biblical preaching. But even inside preaching, there are different schools of thought on the approach to preaching. I want to give you my, a very short reason for the way I and we approach the Bible the way we do. Now, what most people grew up on, and, and I'm, I'm not, this is not, I want to be careful because this is not necessarily, this is not sinful, and it's not even necessarily wrong, it's just that a steady diet of this doesn't make for mature disciples, in, in my opinion. So there is what was called topical preaching. Now, topical preaching would be someone saying, pick something. I want to preach on mercy today. So let me look up all the verses that talk about mercy and write a sermon own all these words, either using an index or whatever to talk about mercy. Or I want to talk about Christian finances today. So I'll look up the, bi the, the words in the, the Bible that talk about how Christians ought to use their money. Or I want to talk about marriage today. So we look up all the places in Scripture that marriage is talked about. That's topical preaching. It's not necessarily unbiblical, but it's topical. So you start with the topic rather than starting with the text, all right? What we do here is called expository preaching. Now, that's a big $5 word, but all that means is that we expose the text. I, we always start with the text. We always start with the Scripture, and we let the Scripture determine what the topic is. Do you know how many times in announcing that we're going to walk through Galatians or Romans or Luke or Acts or any? Right now we're walking in Exodus because we're in the life of Moses. Then we're going to walk through Colossians. Then we're going to walk through James. Oh, it's fantastic. I got 66 books. I'm going to preach. I want to preach them all twice. I, 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 if the Lord just lets me keep living, I'm just going to preach them all. And I'm going to start over again. Like, and the reason we do that is because I want us to be a slave to biblical authority. I, I want you to fall in love with the Bible, and I want you to see what the Bible says. And sometimes you've seen this in your own private reading. When you actually read the Bible for what it says and not what you think it says, things change. And you love the Bible for what it is, and we approach the Bible that way so that it's studied in context. It keeps us from shying away from topics. It keeps us from not being willing to address things. It causes us to be exposed to every jot and tittle. It causes us within that 
to understand the importance. And, and, and so that's why 90% of the time, even like right now we're doing a character study, we are walking systematically through books or sections of the Bible because when you do that, not only is the gospel highlighted, but when you highlight the gospel, you exalt Christ. And here's the reason why I think that's important. Because it shouldn't matter what a man's opinion is or what a preacher's opinion is or what their thoughts are or how cute their stories are or how amusing they are or their personality or if you like their voice or if you think they're good looking or whatever else it is. The only thing that matters is, is the truth of Scripture being expounded because that's the only thing we have. I have no authority. I want you to hear me tell you that. That is one place where I believe Charismatics and Pentecostals have completely misunderstood the role of the pastor. I have no authority. The only authority is the text. All I am is a slave. The authority that I have, only you say, well, well, Brother Larry, should we follow you? If I'm following the text, if my reasoning is biblical, if my leadership is biblical, then, then go with it. But that's the only authority we have. No man has any authority. That's the exact same reason. And charismatics would be hate to be compared this way. But that's the exact same problem in the Catholic Church. When you've exalted a man to a position of authority and given him the authority over the Word of God to be able to be the one who determines whether or not a church should do this or should do that or an organization or what we believe, the answer should be, it's not that we don't love you, Brother Larry, or love another pastor or care about you. It is that we don't care what you think if what you think does not line up with the precepts uh, precepts of scripture so we are committed to the expo exposition or expository nature of preaching and teaching the word of god i believe that's what jesus did he sat down with the disciples he said open your bibles open your bibles he said he expounded the law the prophets and the psalms by the way that's the old testament in jesus's definition the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms, he's talking about all of it. You say, wait a minute, now the Prophets, that starts with Isaiah. When Jesus spoke of the Prophets, that would have started in the time of Samuel. So Samuel came in as the Prophet. So when you talk about the Law, Torah, Pentateuch, then you start in the time of Joshua, when the time you've got that wrapped up in the history, in the time of the Prophets. So what he's talking about is that he systematically walked them through the Old Testament. Man, I've sat through some incredible sermons and Bible classes, but what I wouldn't have given to have been there that night. <laughs> Can you imagine? I don't know if he said, sit down in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, and I don't know that he didn't start there. I don't know how long this took, but I bet it was incredible. I, I bet it was incredible. And so he opened their minds and they were able to understand the full meaning because the full meaning was found in Him. And they were overcome with appreciation, broken and joyful and hopeful and consumed and obsessed because they found that it all pointed to Jesus. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It all points to Jesus. The law points to Jesus. The prophets point to Jesus. The Psalms point to Jesus. The Pentateuch, it points to Jesus. The history, it points to Jesus. In every single aspect, it points to Jesus. So Jesus is showing how this is coming to Himself. And to grasp the Word of God, 
the Lord must first open our mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I spent a lot more time on some things I didn't mean to spend as much time on tonight, so I'm a little pressed for this, and I wanted to spend more time on this. There is a movement, a demonic movement, that is trying to separate the Holy Spirit from the Holy Scriptures. Let me say that again. There is a demonic movement afoot in the evangelical church to try to separate the Holy Spirit from the Holy Scriptures. And let me explain to you what I mean by that, because if you don't know that, I'm going to tell you why you should be seeing that right now. Any place that tells you about experiencing the Holy Spirit, Benny Hinn throwing people around on the stage, hitting people with the coat, the Holy Spirit coming down, and that you have to be able to speak in ecstatic utterance or gibberish or tongues to have a supernatural experience, that waves are, are coming down, that, that we are all relying on experience, 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 experience. And if you're not having these continually elevated experiences, then according to this demonic theology, unorthodox, unbiblical, non-New Testament theology, then you aren't experiencing the Holy Spirit. When in the New Testament, it knows nothing of that. Because in the New Testament, you can't experience the power of God apart from the Word of God. So when people start talking about, I experienced the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit told me this, and the Holy Spirit told me that, there's a lot of people that are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And here's how I know that. Because God is not schizophrenic. He doesn't have multiple personalities. He doesn't lie. So He didn't say one thing through the... By the way, the Word was written through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, we're getting off of some words. We believe in what is called the plenary verbal inspiration of, of Scripture. What that means is some people will tell you it was mechanical dictation. There's no way it was mechanical dictation or the whole Bible would sound the same. But when you read Paul, you get Paul's personality. When you read Luke, you get Luke's personality. When you read John, you get John's personality. There's, you see that. So plenary verbal means that the Holy Spirit moved in these men to inspire them through their personalities to write the inspired, infallible, and errant truth of the Word of God. And that's how it was placed on the Scripture page. And so when that took place, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible was written. So you cannot have someone that is having a movement of the Spirit of God apart from the Word of God, and certainly they can't have a movement of the Spirit of God that contradicts the Word of God. That's ridiculous. You know the people who are, you hear about being slain in the Spirit? There's some of you have bought into this lie. You don't think you're as spiritual as some people because they have had, they claim to have had more crazy experiences and, and this happened and I got caught up and I had this vision and I heard this voice and all of that. Listen to me. If you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, if you want to be slain in the Spirit, then be slain by the sword of the Spirit and the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Read your Bible, study your Bible. When that happens, then the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, just like He inspired, the writing will then infuse your life. There is no movement of the Holy Spirit apart from the truths of the Word of God. It's absolutely, it's absolutely essential. So what we pray for is not that the Holy Spirit would inspire us or that the Holy Spirit would give us new experiences what we should pray for is 
that the Holy Spirit would open up our eyes and our minds and our heart to understand the Word of God. Psalm 119.18 Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Open my eyes, Lord. Help me to understand this. How many of you struggle to understand the Bible sometimes? This guy. I mean, I struggle. And I obsess about it, and I wake up at night sometimes worrying if I've got it wrong. Sometimes I'm scared to death that I'm going to be accountable because I taught you something wrong. I mean, probably to the point of it's weird sometimes. Like, I, I think about it all, like all the time. And so within that, sometimes you just have to stop and say, God, I don't get it. I, I don't understand. Sometimes Sunday's coming for me all the time. It seems like it's Sunday about every other day. Like, like, we get through on Sundays in here, and I feel like it's time to preach again. It feels like it ought to be Tuesday, and it's Sunday, and it's coming, and it's coming, and it's coming, and it's coming. And so sometimes when I'm studying, I'm like, God, you got to help me. Like, I, I don't, I, I'm at this place, and I've got to explain this to these people, and I don't get it. I, 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 I need your help. And you know what? He didn't write this to confuse you. Sometimes it takes me a while. If that's not God's fault. That's most of the time my fault. But if I humble myself... And listen and pay attention to the parts I do understand. It fills in the gaps for the things that I don't understand. And you know what? When I was young, I thought as a child. And I've noticed the older I have gotten, the more I understand the Bible. The more I've studied. Now when I pick it up, I still struggle, but I don't struggle like I used to. It's gotten, I don't want to say easier, but it's gotten easier to understand. Because you practice it and you ask for help. Even Peter this, this helps me. This really helps me. You might want to write down this passage. 2 Peter 3.16. Peter, talking about Paul, said that things in Paul's letters were hard to understand. 2 Peter 3.16. The Apostle Peter, talking about the Apostle Paul, said that some things that Paul wrote were hard to understand. I love that verse. If the Apostle Peter struggled with it, I think God's okay with sometimes me having a little bit of difficulty. Right? Sometimes it's hard to understand. It's not elementary. Sometimes it is tough, and that's okay. It's hard, but it's not impossible. You understand more the more you study. Tozer said the Bible is a supernatural book, and it can be understood only by supernatural aid. Spurgeon said the best interpreter of a book is generally the man who wrote it. <laughs> I love that. The Holy Spirit wrote the Scriptures, so go to Him to get their meaning, and you will not be misled. Go to the Holy Spirit, ask for help. So we pray to the Lord, and the prayer ought to be something that sounds a little bit like this. Lord, open my eyes to see. Open my mind to comprehend. And just as important as those other two, open my heart to believe it. Because when you believe it, it's transformative. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can say, I was slain in the Spirit. Not because you lost control of your bodily functions. Not because you started uttering ecstatic gibberish. But because the Lord God in His power took the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, took the sword and rammed it through your heart. And so because of that, you were convicted of sin, convinced of the holiness of God, and became obedient to Him. I want to be slain that way. I want to be taken over by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that happens through the Word of God. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. 
We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.